Welcome, everyone. <clears throat> and thank you for being with us today, and thank you for this opportunity. Your uh, presence and your arrival uh, calls me forward into my practice, so I appreciate your uh, arrival uh, so that I can engage my own practice and we can share that. Let's begin with our, our basic practice of sitting. So if you will arrange yourself in such a way that is as relaxed and comfortable and yet has some uprightness and dignity to it as a way of celebrating and encouraging your realization that your basic nature is wakefulness and goodness. And we'll enjoy our sitting time together. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. <clears throat> How is it that we harmonize all being? How, how is it that we harmonize our, uh, our lives, <clears throat> our practices? It says in our chant that um, wearing the teachings that does this, but what, what, what does that mean? The kind of questions, <clears throat> pardon me, that I've been receiving uh, recently are in response to the difficulties that are happening around us. And I've been speaking to this in the last few weeks. But today I, I thought um, I might speak about a, a, 
the specific kind of topic that's being um, uh, being requested, which is about karma. Uh, you remember the the these little talks that I do. It, it's not a um, I'm not trying to educate you about something. It's not academic. Try to describe something so you'll get it straight as if I knew, because I don't think I'm an expert on some of these academic Buddhist topics. <clears throat> this is in the service of your practice and you're deepening your own reflections and our shared reflections so that we understand what practice means in our lives. And we do that in a way that's shared so we support and encourage each other. So the practice moves in ways that it couldn't when we're on our own. So just as a reminder that this is the, the spirit and the way in which I'm offering these small reflections and uh, teachings each time. It's not exactly a Dharma talk in, in terms of um, uh, educating you in some way, it's, <clears throat> but it is to help call you forward into your practice just as your presence is calling me forward. So today I want to talk a little bit about some ideas that we have that um, essentially actions have consequences, which we all know. We, we learn that sometimes uh, in ways that are not so much fun when we're kids. Um, but if we think of karma as just actions have consequences, it, it can take on a kind of a moralistic edge to it, which is a little not quite right, although it's it's accurate and it's base. It's also true to maybe say that everything matters to everything else in this unending network of contingent life that we've that we're embedded in. But no matter how we describe it, no matter what these things that we think we understand about karma, uh, there's, this, there's this only one thing expressing itself, and it looks like all of this. But every one of these descriptions is a human perspective. It's the way that I'm thinking about it. My actions or your actions have a consequence. Everything matters in this world that I'm perceiving. There's only one thing happening, expressing itself, but my perspective, my concerns, my fears, my hopes, my ideas about karma are all part of that whole too. There's nowhere you can separate it out. And even as we use language, we're offering a, a human perspective and it's much larger. So let's look just a tiny bit at the historical context, because I, I can tell you, like I said, I'm, I'm no expert on karma or its, um, its roots in, in Buddhist history, but a little context helps because mostly I think we get it wrong. If you were to ask an ordinary person who doesn't have a lot of experience in Buddhism, what is karma? Because that word has been uh, co-opted into our, uh, our culture and our language they would say, it's kind of like you get what you deserve. Like um, it's almost always has a negative tone and as if, um, as if there's something uh, almost like a punishment to it. Now in Hindu India, 
where this originated in the old cosmology, the law of karma and the reality of reincarnation were self-evidently true and woven into the fabric of everyday life in that culture. They were not separable and they were just a given. Buddhism, which grew out of that culture initially, at least, co-opted or utilized those which were embedded in that same culture. And in the early teachings, they completely take for granted the law of karma as a cosmological explanation of how things are. And the multiple lifetimes is the medium within which the acts or karma are committed, even use the word committed, and come to fruition, which is a different word, vipaka. Karma is not the result. Karma is the action. So these things were intertwined culturally and historically. We're going to skip ahead to the current moment. What if we detach these two concepts, these two beliefs, rebirth and karma? And remember, karma has to do with actions, not consequences and not necessarily punishment. Those are things that have been added in the way we think of it these days. And secondly, we could shift where the, the scale of the law of karma can be reduced to this lifetime, not as a predictor of future rebirth, but simply consequences of one's actions in this life now. If you want to understand how your life is going and what it will become, it's said, look at what you're doing now. If you want to understand your current situation, look at what you've done in the past. It's, it's lawful. But there's another piece in the puzzle. Once we take us out rebirth and reincarnation, that's, we're not going to consider that. Only karma this life. We have to also include a kind of an action or act that seems a bit more internal, which is <clears throat> volition or intention. Uh, I can remember the first time I heard in a Dharma talk by Rev Anderson, someone asked him, what is karma? And he said, it's anything you think you do. Uh, it, that wasn't the whole teaching, but that really struck with me. It's like, oh, it's, a, it's an action that has a doer, that has an influence. This sets up a cycle. If we open it up a little more, the um, wonderful Vipassana um, master teacher, Joseph Goldstein, this is a little quote from him. He says, the Buddha used the term karma specifically referring to volition, the intention or motive behind an action. He said that karma is volition because it is the motivation behind the action that determines the karmic fruit. Inherent in each intention is the mind, is an energy powerful enough to bring about subsequent results. When we understand that karma is based on volition, we can see the enormous responsibility we have to become conscious of the intentions that precede our actions. 
And if we're aware of the motives in our minds, when unskillful volitions arise, we may unmindfully act on them and thus create the conditions for future suffering. This is the sequence. Uh, volition, action, consequences, future suffering, potentially. And there's a, a way that, that I think of this uh, intention as something to do with our personal will. Um, Gerald May, who some of you may know, um, was a wonderful a psychiatrist, and he also helped develop an institute, the Shalem Institute, uh, to train people in spiritual direction, primarily from a Christian framework. Um, he said, willingness implies a surrendering. Willingness implies a surrendering of one's self-separateness and entering into and emerge in the deepest process of life itself. This is what we do in Zazen. It's a realization that one already is a part of some ultimate cosmic process, and it's a commitment to participate in that process. This is precisely what we do when we sit. We surrender our self-separateness and enter into and immerse ourselves in life as it is. He contrasted that with willfulness is the setting oneself apart from the fundamental essence of life in an attempt to master, direct, control, or otherwise manipulate existence. This is our everyday life. To predict, control, these things that have to do with willfulness, which we sometimes surrender to have a willingness to actually live our life. So willingness, in a way, is saying yes to the mystery of being alive in each moment. Yes, yes. And willfulness is saying no, or maybe for mo yes, but. And the but then is your particular ideas about life, your particular take on things, the way you want it to go. And as soon as you put yourself, as soon as I put myself in the center of things, with the assumption that I'm fully in charge of it all, or that my perspective is the truth with a capital T, then the law of karma is in action. And of course, we see this all around us right now through the difficulties, and I don't even have to go into all of the, the storylines or the narratives about how willingness and willfulness clash, how putting oneself in the center and thinking one's individual perspective is the only truth causes suffering. Because in our practice, we remind ourselves over and over through practice together and study and work together that impermanence, everything changing, and dependent origination, that everything is dependent on everything else, are the basis of this law. Everything is a dynamic, ever-changing, contingent flow, and therefore, everything matters. There's not something aside. There are no throwaway moments there are no inconsequential actions. 
and there are no throwaway people. It would be interesting if our entire social order, let alone our government and politics, use that as a foundation. There are no throwaway moments. There are no inconsequential actions. And there are no throwaway people. If that's true, then it's unwise to refuse life as it is or turn away from our actions and their consequences as if we could be free of them, no consequences. But sometimes we get caught because only time will tell and we don't get to choose the timeline. This is all lawful. That's why I call the law of karma. There's no such thing as no consequence. Everything plays in response to everything out, no matter what you think, no matter what you do, your idea about it, it's going to be working as a lawful act. I can manipulate my garden by fertilizing and watering and moving and changing and planting and doing all kinds of things, but then it's going to go like it goes, based in part on how I impact it, certainly. But my willfulness will not make it be like I want it. But turning toward and including everything is what we do in our confession and repentance chant. When we chant all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate and delusion, born through body, speech and mind, I now fully avow. And then we do it with the uh, second person that we, all our karma that we avow, and then the universal, all the karma that all being avows. All our ancient uh, twisted, or sometimes we say tangled because there are different feels of uh, the way we're turning away from, but it's all entangled. From greed, hate, and delusion, which sounds so harsh, uh, it's, it's true, but sometimes it's useful to bring it home from beginningless grasping, uh, aversion and confusion that we all live with each day, which is carried in our body, speech, and mind, which means it is carried in our society. It's carried in our culture. It's carried in our politics. All this is our grasping, aversion, and confusion, the tangle and twisted aspects of karma are carried in everything. So we chant we, and we chant all being. And I now fully avow, or we vow, suggest that we keep paying attention, turning toward, noticing our impact and our intention. Not just our intentions, because our intentions may be distant from the impact. We've noticed both. There's a kind of a clever little sequence that that Zen teacher Sherry Huber has used, she calls them the three keys to freedom. And they speak to this, really. Um, she said, three keys to understanding suffering and the keys to freedom are, number one, pay attention to everything. Don't believe anything. Don't take anything personally. Now, they're punchy and they're short, of course. Pay attention to everything. This is the practice of mindfulness and our wakeful 
way of opening our awareness and attention. Don't believe anything. You don't get stuck. Don't stop. Don't make small. Don't conceptualize. Don't just get stuck on belief systems. That doesn't mean not know things. Because once you do, then you've drawn a line and you've turned away from something. And then number three, don't center down on yours. Don't take anything personally. That's a really a tough one. As the line that Sojin Roshi from Berkeley Zen Center said once, which many of you heard me say, which I thought was really made me chuckle. He said, our practice is to not take offense, even when it's meant. So turn toward everything. There's no throwaway pieces. Don't get centered down on a personal belief because now that starts narrowing things. And for further, don't take things personally. See how you can respond most generously. I, I thought, what if you watch the news this way? Pay attention to everything. Don't believe anything. Don't take anything personally. Be quite a severe and <laughs> challenging practice, wouldn't it? The Buddha gave us a path to, to untangling things, and that path was the Eightfold Path, as part of the fourth noble truth, the fourth task. And this is a list which we don't have to spend a lot of time on, but uh, the list that you're often familiar with, he said, the Eightfold Path is right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, effort, mindfulness, and concentration. And this right has something to do with being uh, focused in a, in a balanced way, uh, wakefully, not uh, morally right or wrong. And there are two kinds of Eightfold Paths that I've heard spoken about it's from some of my teachers. The first one, the first way to go through those practices is skillful, very skillful, and karmic. It's if you work towards right effort and right action, right intention, right speech, all these things, right livelihood, these things are amazingly beneficial. They're meritorious and wholesome. And the rewards come back to the benefit of the person who's doing the action. You are doing these things. You are doing these good, wholesome things. But it's tainted a little by, I did it. I will endeavor to do these practices. These are things we do by our own power to correct the suffering that comes from our own thinking and behaviors. But thinking this way is the beginning of a self-improvement project and brings a bit of anxiety. And then you'd have to do more correcting to deal with that anxiety. And it's an endless cycle of self-improvement or the curative fantasy of our practice. And this makes, in some ways, the world of samsara right in your spiritual practice. We all have to start this way. We all have to practice this way. It's not something wrong. It's that it's still personal. And then there is the Eightfold Path that you can't do, but that can be accomplished through practice. Therefore, it's not as karmically entangled. And that is 
through zazen and our practices with the understanding that our nature is that of a Buddha and how a Buddha operates in the world and lives is with right understanding, with right thought, right, right speech, all these things. So as one practices, these things open in a beneficial way. It's also meritorious, but it doesn't come back to that person who's doing the action. It goes out to the benefit of all beings. And this is the liberation from the endless cycle of me, including in spiritual practice. Even when there's that small voice that says, this isn't going to work. We forget that we can't individually power our way out of this mess as much as we hope. As we see each of whatever you call the mess out there, each piece of it. The whole universe is practicing together because of the law of karma. Now, the karmic way we go through the Eightfold Path, this is where good psychotherapy fits too, by the way, and where early practice is super useful as we work to heal things, extremely useful. The second one is the non-dual practice that leads to liberation from suffering and realizing that we don't do anything alone and that we are the result of everything else and you influence everything else. And it's a turn toward the Bodhisattva vow. And both of these perspectives, both of these paths require self-study. Both require mindfulness and the willingness to meet life as it is. Both are beneficial and wholesome. And both require a willingness and an ability to stay with this anxiety of separation that we live with and to admit that it is how we see the world and to turn back towards what it's like to connect and to open to the reality. So that as we move, it might be, you know, Peg and I have reshaped these in, in a way where we use the same eightfold path, but instead of saying right view or right intention, we say through practice, your view is in accord with life. Through practice, your intention is in accord with life. Your speech is in accord with life. Each thing is in accord with the center of things. And this realization, as you accord with life, instead of attempt to separate and control through karmic action, this realization is that everything is sacred. And that leads us to vow. So the understanding and deep practice of really understanding karma is in a way to feel guilty and bad or super vigilant about what you're going to do that's wrong. It's a way to open towards life so that you're in accord, your intention is in accord with life and your work and your views and your meditation and concentration is in accord with life as it is so that you can flow with vow instead of being pulled around by karma. Dogen's famous thing, ordinary people are those pulled by karma, bodhisattvas are those led by vow. And this is why it's important to reflect on karma in this way. 
not as a way to look at those that we despise or have trouble with and say, they'll get theirs, you know, karma. It, it's just gonna play out the way it plays out. And how are you going to influence and how are you going to accord with the life that you see as wakeful life? Are you gonna participate in that or participate in more tangle, more twisting? Just yesterday, one of our students in our larger Sangha, former head student actually in, in Madison, Kim Nishom, was speaking about the vow that she had written for herself. And so we, in her practice group, she spoke about it. And I asked if it would be okay if I use it. And it, it, she says it's alive. It, it, it moves and it's dynamic, but there's a, a basis to it. But I thought this is a really lovely, to, to end my little talk, this is a lovely way to think about how all of this expresses itself in a personal vow. Here's what she, she wrote and what she uses and what she repeats to herself with small variations as she moves through her own dynamic life. So I thank her for this. I vow to live with a soft front and a strong back. Remembering the boundless support of the grandmothers, the ancestors and the earth. May this ground of being support me to live with a heart that is open and courageous and resilient enough to attend to my own suffering, heal what I can, let go of what is not mine, and open up more space for life and love to flow. There's an entire retreat in that first piece. Soft front, strong back, upright, with resilience yet vulnerable, remembering the boundless support of everything that has brought me here, the ground of being which supports me to live with a heart that can be open and courageous, attending to myself, healing what I can, letting go of what I can't, opening up more space. She goes further, I vow to bear witness and be with the suffering of others. May I find the strength and presence to offer compassion and care and the skillful means to turn us just a little bit more towards freedom. So that's the work of a bodhisattva. I vow to honor the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. I vow to honor the three treasures, dedicating myself to practice, to study and teaching and to spiritual friendship. And finally, I vow to remember that I'm alive. And she put in parentheses, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. I vow to remember that I'm alive. It seems so ordinary and it's not. That this life is a gift and how I choose to live my life is sacred. May the awe and gratitude I feel show through my actions. May the awe and gratitude of my practice of understanding life in this way, show through my actions, which is karma. May my awe and gratitude I feel throw shoot, th show through my actions, through goodness. So I thank her for that. 
it's a, a beautiful vow and it includes so much of what we're talking about and brings us to the essence of what I hope to communicate uh, about karma. So when we look at those that we have trouble with and say, well, it's karma, you know, they're getting, it, it doesn't actually help in a way. A vow to open to your own vulnerability and your own strength at the same time. Realize that all of that is only available because of those who support you. Everything from the past and the entire earth that you rest on. That you can work to certainly heal yourself and others. And that turn towards the other is best done if your heart is open and more love is flowing so that your whole life will benefit others. That you can turn each moment a little bit more towards freedom. And you do that by honoring the practice, the three treasures, and all that we do through spiritual friendship, remembering that I'm alive. May the awe and gratitude I feel show through my actions. So if this is called forward some things that uh, you might want to reflect on, let's do that now. Thank you for bearing with me as I've gone through all of this. And I look forward to, uh, to speaking to you. Just raise your hand. Like Stephanie does. Hi there. Hi. So um, this is the first time I've done this. <laughs> Feels a little weird. <laughs> Many times um, as we've been together, we've known each other, but it's the first time you've done this. Yes. Um, and I want to say first off, before I start, how much I appreciate seeing um, the shirts you wear, because so many of them are shirts I've seen you wear in person. And so when I see you in a shirt that I know, I feel like you're sitting right here with me. So, a new one today. You can thank Aaron for this. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. Mm -hmm. um, so my my inquiry to you is that I need some help on is about karma, generational karma, and continued then self-perpetuating karma. I have a 13-year-old grandson who um, was removed from his mother's home and is now living with my son, um, severely, severely abused. And I've been on the phone most of the morning with his his stepmom, my daughter-in-law, um, about this. How do we approach a wounded young teenager who has been so, so wounded with a parent who had her own karmic wounding? Mm -hmm. how, how do we as practitioners, how do I as a grandmother be present to this child's pain without bringing my own woundedness mm -hmm. into it. Well, there's two, two things to consider right off. Number one, don't assume that you'll get away with not bringing your own woundedness. Mm -hmm. Be patient yeah. and gentle with yourself. Uh, you'll, you'll be yourself. I understand what you're saying. I think when you bring it up is you don't want to lead with that. Right. Or complicate, of course. Uh, but, but be a little more gentle uh, because you're, how many times have you told me, Stephanie, when I have shown some sort of vulnerability as a teacher, that's actually what helped you enter the gate. And yeah. so 
This it okay. depends on how you use it. But that comes to the second point, which is your intention. I don't know the answer of how to meet him because I don't know him. Mm. But I do know that you can be clear about your intention. What what do you hope for him? What do you want for him? What do you 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 hope not to complicate it with your own legacy of pain? Right. Right. You hope that like in Kim's vow, to add a little more, a little more towards freedom. Yes. Now you'll have to call on whatever skillful means are available, uh, a new setting, maybe some therapeutic help, but a lot of it is just simple kindness and care so that the um, everyday actions that he's surrounded by are wholesome and good and kind and spacious enough for him to speak about what he needs to speak about, but strong enough. It's like the soft belly and strong back. Mm. Vulnerable enough so that he can come forward, but contained enough because he probably needs good containment, especially yes, as a teenager. So, yeah. but, but these are all technical things, but it's the orientation. Remember, intention is essential. So stay with your intention, that your bodhisattva vow. Either so when, when, I, for when you, I get you know, when I get triggered in this relationship, mm -hmm. do I remember, try to take a step back and remember what my vow is? Is that what yes. you're saying? When you feel the inevitable triggering, which you will, yeah. remember the stepping back is what you understand as unblending. Mm, yes. And turning toward the one in you who holds the, the difficulty and the pain. Because all right. of you isn't the damage. Right. There's lots of parts of you that aren't damaged. There's, your true self is always there. Right. But if you can get a little space, and there are many times when you have to admit to him, gosh, I feel as overwhelmed as you do right now, but I won't leave you, and I'm right here, and everything's okay. Right. But I have parts of me that feel that same way. But I also have a part of me right now that can say this and speak for it and not just from it. And you can learn to do that too. Okay. Thank you very much. That's helpful. Thank you. You have your little dog with you? He's still hanging on. He's um, sleeping right now. Can you see him? There he is. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> yeah. He's, cold, I know. he's 14. He's not doing too well, but um, for today, he's with Thank Good. you. Thank you okay. very much. Thank you. All these beings are so important to us. Hi, Flint. Oh, Eileen. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you very much for the talk today. And I thank our beloved Kim for the beautiful vows. And I wanted to report that as I was hearing her vows, I was feeling myself gallop away and become very small because I could never write vows like that. Me either. <laughs> well, and then there was a part of me that spoke and said, you don't have to write these vows. You don't have to even say these vows. You can just intend to live them. And, and yeah, and it let me come back and feel the connection mm -hmm. good with what you're talking about today and so i just wanted to share this 
one little thing with the group and offer thanks. That's essential because that's the practice turn from the habit of the suffering you'd normally engage in and turn back. It just so happens that she was, had the ability to language these things. I read hers, not mine, because her languaging is so beautiful and then it's so inclusive. So I thought it was a good example. And I wanted a real example from a real student, not some esoteric thing. Well, and what I realized is that her vows are mine. Of course. I didn't write them. I didn't, I, I don't have to, but, mm -hmm. but instead of separating myself or feeling separate, I realized I could just take it completely in. Perfect. And then act. So just, I wanted to express thanks. Yes. Thank you. And as you know, she admits that even this changes. This is what it was when she wrote it yesterday. <laughs> Thank you, Flat. Thank you, Eileen. That's a really important practice point. I'm grateful for it. Hi, Flint. How are you? Good, Thank good. You're, you're the photographer who's backlit here, so I can't see your face very well. But. I'm sorry, I didn't plan this very well. That, that's no problem, no problem. It's good to hear your voice and see you. been in the dark for quite a while, so it's not... Yeah, I see you well now. Thank you. Um, I, I am just... There was something you said early on in today's talk, which is really just has my mind going in all kinds of directions, that willingness mm -hmm. um, is a form of surrender. Mm -hmm. That it implies the spirit of surrender, mm -hmm. which all of a sudden drops judgment, right? Because if you're willing to adopt a new attitude or, or perception, um, mm -hmm. you can't be in judgment of it. Yeah, and even if you are, there's a willingness to meet the judgment. Yes. The willingness yeah. is, is infinitely available to you if you take that stance, even as all these other things arise. Yeah. I, it's just, so different than willfulness. It's, I know there are some folks here, uh, someone was just uh, sending a text earlier, um, that these, this, this edge you see in 12-step programs too. That's where we're coming from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's so life-saving. Yeah. It, it took me so long to have a heartfelt and wide willingness. I, I came from, come from such a place of fear. I think I was born worried and born <laughs> fearful. <clears throat> so getting to a true spirit of willingness, you know, so much of what you said today and what I've heard you say in the past explains part of my journey. Mm -hmm. And then also kind of maps out a new perspective, a new attitude to, to right. hold going forward. So th thank that, you that so much. That sense of being understood and mapping out is something then we start sharing. Yeah. And then we realize, oh, we're together. Yeah. We're together. Oh, yeah. yeah. You've, you've just, um, I'm, I'm so grateful that, that I have today with um, these teachings and with you because it has really just uh, kicked down a lot of the anxiety Good. of what's yeah. going on. And I do, I do like thinking about karma differently because right, it sounds right. vengeful it, when people no, say, that's a different you know, and there, is, there should be no venge. 
and nothing vengeful about karma. Well, for, for me, you know, when you first, when I first heard about it in an inaccurate kind of understanding, all I did was map it onto a vengeful God kind of thing. You know, that didn't really work very well. No, <laughs> no, it doesn't produce the outcome that you're looking for. That's for sure. Right, right. Thank you so much for Thank you. And you remind me of just how grateful I am for all of the, the folks who have come actually through the photography workshops to end up in practice. Oh. It makes me so happy, you know. Oh, it changed, changed everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Thank Betsy. You. Good to see you. Okay, bye. Bye. Kind of a sneaky way to be a Dharma teacher. Have people think they're going to take photographs and suddenly they're practicing. Shashi, you're going to make it this time. There you are. You're still muted. I want to make sure I hear your lovely voice. Okay. Okay, there we go. Okay. Well, it's good, good to, to see you. you. Good to see you too. Um, well, I had a difficult morning uh, today. My sister called. She has, I mean, I've known this for a while. She has this horrible illness oh. and it's gotten worse. Oh. And I know that she is really scared. Uh, and I just want, I, I don't, can you tell me like what, what I can say, she's too far for me to just go there. I can't actually travel there right now. Uh, but really? in Canada, in Canada. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what can I say that can be of help to her and ease her pain and self blame? Mm -hmm. I love you. Truly, I, I don't know her, and so I don't know what precisely, but all of us want to know that we're loved. And we want the people who love us to tell us the truth. Like, I love you, and I would do anything to take your pain away, and I know that I can't. But I want you to know that I'm with you even if I can't come there. So you're affirming that you're, you're love and care, affirming your presence, even if you can't be there, and your vulnerability. Remember the soft front and the strong back? You're saying, I'm with you, I'm steady, and I'm vulnerable, and I can feel you. Because if you try to talk her into or out of something or try to help, it's not helpful. <laughs> usually, but your loving presence is. So remember that your loving presence is the most powerful medicine that you can offer, not coping strategies or ideas or, and then to ask, is there something that I'm missing that you want? Please let me know. And if you don't, and you think about it sometime, I'm always open. I don't want to guess because, you know, when we guess, what happens is we project what we think. Right. And we might miss the person. So just uh, express your own vulnerability, not as in being weak, 
but your sensitivity to her, but your strength and willingness to be with her in a loving way. She knows you love her and you know you're, she knows you're present, you know you're flexible, then you can walk anywhere with her. I had a, um, one of my students one time who had a very severe uh, cancer and had to have a, a kind of a treatment in which she had to be in isolation for a while. And um, different chaplains would come see her during the day while she was in the hospital. And she was quite irritated with them in the ways that they were attempting to administer whatever they were supposed to do. And one day a chaplain she hadn't seen came in, um, greeted her with his eyes primarily, sat down next to her, a small touch, and then just sat. And after a while, he got up and left him with a smile. And she said that was the most profound spiritual experience she had in the hospital stay. He didn't try to help, but he was completely present. So that's a bit, in some ways, extreme, but it's the essence. And then we have to live with our own helplessness. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes the harder part. So that's why you talk to me, you talk to friends, you talk to your son or, you know, whoever, husband, to get support that she's not going to be giving you so you can be of service to her. Thank you. Thank you for your question. And now that you've said this, we'll all be thinking about you and your sister too. So there's a much larger group of people orienting their care and their healing your way. Thank you. It's quite a strong practice to be with people who are in a great deal of suffering, especially this kind of medical suffering, because it's so tempting to try to do something. Um, and of course, we don't want to step away and do nothing. It's like the Eightfold Path that can be done, but you can't do by surrender, by willingness and a deep practice. You're muted, Sheila. Where is that microphone? I got it. it is. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm near the end of the time again, so I want to speak quickly. And, and I kind of want to flash my canon over here. I saw that. Beautiful. Not in my courtyard. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. I, I, I'm... I'm I know you said just not an academic thing, but I'm, I'm kind of responding, I'm afraid, academically, but it's also from where I live. When you were talking at the first about karma and you quoted Joseph Goldstein about, let's see, I got, there are two that I got kind of mixed up. One was, uh, it's the karma. You talked about intention. It's what you think you do. Okay, yeah. I is an illusion. Yeah. Thinking is an illusion. Is doing an illusion? I know it's, out of the contingency of all the interdependent origination and so forth. I don't think it's an illusion. It's the separate separateness. That's the illusion. Exactly. The I and the thinking. Yeah. And then you said about intention and motivation and volition and will. And I think you were quoting somebody else on that one. But that was Goldstein. The actions start inside. It's not just outside. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so we weren't separating them as two different things. They're Mm -hmm. one thing. One thing. But we can't, we can't say about our life. Well, I meant well. That's, that's why I said you can't assess the impact just by looking at your intention. You have to look at the impact. Actual impact. You said that. I got it. So it's very thought provoking. I know my thoughts are not going to, I have to sit with it. Well, there's some clarification that you wanted and that's helpful. Yeah. Probably going to be helpful to others too. The motivation and volition. It's the separation that causes the suffering. Mm-hmm. Not just the act. And I get a little bit trouble when you go, I, get, I understand about greed and hatred and then illusion. And then you switch to confusion instead of illusion. Yeah, delusion. 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 Mm-hmm. delusion. It's just that That's some people understand that a little better. Yeah. Well, we think we all are separate and everything is separate. Mm-hmm. We're deluded about. Or another aspect of delusion is just simply turning away and not paying attention. We can grasp onto, push away from, or kind of ignore. um, Another kind of confusion. Okay, thank you anyway. Yeah. (laughs) Good to see you. I've got a lot of work to do. I'm kind of getting Christian meditation and Tibetan and Zen and payment children and all the different kinds of meditation mixed up in my practice, I think. Yeah. Decide what you're going to do and stick with it for a while. I know. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to everybody. Yeah. And we're here at the end. I've kind of gone over the last couple of times and I want to make sure we take care of our time well um, and begin our final chant, uh, which is the four practice principles because they speak to Uh, an orientation that uh, carries these kind of teachings and these practices forward. So let's let's engage the four practice principles now and think of them in terms of the release of the self-centeredness, which is the strength of karma, and opening to the willingness and aspiration of the vow that that we were were sharing uh, so that we can really feel the gratitude of being alive and being in accord with life. Okay, so here we go. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you so much. Jessica. Thank you so much, Flint, and thank you, everyone.
Top of Models programs and facilities are supported by your generosity and your generous support makes all the difference. You can uh, make a contribution online at appamata.org for the teachers or just directly uh, for programs and facilities. Also, please feel free to join us uh, at the after inquiry link on the calendar right now for the next half hour if you want to chat with folks and say hello. Thank you.